The Old Testament reading for this, the tenth Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another? even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 11th and 12th chapters. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, 
not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seen him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God said that in the Bible. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. God also said that. Real love is accepting everyone as they are, 
even if they live a life of manifest unrepentant sin. God most certainly did not say that, ever. And yet, lots of Christians, lots of pastors, lots of church bodies claim that he did. They say that sin isn't really a sin if it doesn't make you feel bad. They say that times have changed and the church needs to change with them. They say that whatever our culture accepts, God accepts as well. They say all this and much more. And worse, they say that God says it as well, when he clearly did not. Why would they do something like that? Why would they make up something that God didn't say and then claim that he did? Better question, why do we do it? Oh, pastor, I would never do that. Really? Have you ever told yourself that God understands how busy your life is and he doesn't mind that you rarely make it to church? He never said that. Ever told yourself or others that God understands your flimsy reasons for living together before marriage or for pilfering from the office or for gossiping about others? God never said that. Ever tell people that it doesn't matter what church they go to or what they really believe, just as long as they're good people, God will understand. He never, ever, ever said that. God never said that it's okay to take his name in vain, since everyone else does. God never said that your particular circumstances make it okay to steal or hate or commit adultery. God never said that your boat loan and Netflix subscription should be paid before you give to the church. So why do we say that he did? Why? Because we want him to have said it. We want these things to be true, and so we claim that God said them, and that settles it. We want our neighbors and our family members who don't go to church to still be able to go to heaven. We want to be able to sleep with whomever and we want, whenever we want. We want to be able to make our own rules and do things our own way to make church and Christianity and life in general a lot more fun and exciting. And so even though God never said any of this was good or pleasing, even though he oftentimes has said the exact opposite and that we should never do these things, we say what we want to hear, what we want to be true, and then we slap God's name on it as if he had said it. Because then it has some authority behind it, and then we can feel good about doing whatever the heck we want to do. I remember as a kid when I was arguing with my brother or sister, I would try this trick. I would say whatever I really wanted to be true and then pretend that I had mom and dad's backing. Mom said you have to give me all your candy. Dad said you have to clean my half of the room too. Mom and dad told me earlier that I could eat that last piece of pie just before supper. And sometimes it worked. I mean, pretty often, I would get what I wanted and completely get away with that lie for a while. Until my siblings thought to check with mom and dad. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just in trouble with my siblings for lying to them, but the wrath of mom and dad came down upon me as well. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. Woe to those false prophets who dare claim that their lies and platitudes are the word of God. God will not be mocked, and those who speak falsely in his name will stand before God and will be held accountable. And to any so-called pastor who claims that God's word is subjective and open to interpretation, you are a heretic who needs to repent and quit feeding God's children lies. It would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and be tossed in the sea. God's words, not mine. To pass your own thoughts and desires off as God's will is the utmost of blasphemy. Because it is putting yourself in God's place and saying that you know better than he does. Do not pretend that anything you want to do is automatically sanctioned and approved by God. Do not call evil good and good evil hiding behind the name of God. Do not say that God has said something unless God has actually said something. Which brings us to the crux of the matter. How can we know? God's ways are unsearchable. God is far higher than we are, far beyond our understanding. How can we know whether someone is actually speaking God's word or their own? How can we possibly know what is actually good and pleasing to God and what is not? Well, how did my siblings figure out that I was lying about what mom and dad said? Simple. They asked mom and dad. I mean, how crazy is that, huh? Go to the source and verify the statement. How can we know what God has said? Go to the source. Go to what he has said. Go to the written word of God, the Bible. Be in a faithful Bible-believing church so that you are familiar with God's word. Go to Bible study so that you can know it even better. Read it at home and ask your pastor questions when there's something you don't quite get. Yes, God's ways are far beyond ours. And yes, we will never fully know the mind of God. But in Holy Scripture, God has spoken to us all that we will ever need to know about our salvation. And he is steadfast and he is consistent in his will and his word. You know, it's not always a bad thing to ask. Did God really say? And as you look at God's word, you are going to find things that are upsetting. You are going to find things that hurt your feelings. You are going to find things that you don't agree with. You will find condemnation of things that are very, very popular in this world. You will find God telling you that many of the things that you are doing right now, you ought not to be doing. You will find harsh rebukes of your sinful lives 
and the lives of those around you, even though you've heard so many people say that God would never say that. But God did say that. And God does say that. God says that you are a sinner to the core and that there is no good within you whatsoever. God says that no matter how good of a person you try to be, you will never be good enough to go to heaven on your own. God says that when you cling to your sin and you reject his holy word, you bring his righteous wrath down upon yourself. You will find all this and so much more in God's word, and it will make you very, very uncomfortable. But do not reject that word just because it conflicts with your sinful life and doesn't change with the times. In fact, rejoice that it is an unchanging word that doesn't move around based on culture or emotions. Because while that unyielding word of God condemns your sinful ways, it also continually provides the one cure the one solution, the one hope that sinners like you and me actually have. And that hope is Jesus Christ alone. Just as it always has been, just as it always will be. Outside of him, there is no salvation. Without faith in Jesus Christ, as he has revealed himself in Scripture, no matter how good you might act, No matter how fervent your faith might be, no matter what heretical churches might claim, there is no salvation, no heaven. Without Jesus Christ, there is nothing for any of us but eternal hell and condemnation. And that might sound harsh, but that's something that God has actually, truly, absolutely said. But here's the great thing. It's not at all exclusive. Because the word of God, the truth of the Bible, the salvation of Jesus Christ, his cross and empty tomb, they are for everyone. All sinners throughout all time. God's word is not some deep secret that only a select few can ever truly know. It's not some constantly changing target that we need to keep up with the current trends and fads to make sure we're still on point It is unchanging and eternal, and it is for the whole world, and it is ridiculously simple. Believe in Jesus Christ. God's word is everywhere, and it is for everyone. Especially in this day and age, God's word can be shared with everyone in so many different ways, and it can change lives and so, so much more. Through God's word, We poor, wretched sinners who are blind, dead, and enemies of God, we are made alive. We are restored as his beloved children. We are cleansed of all of our sin. God's word, his pure word that he has preserved from generation to generation, it breaks our stony, sinful, rebellious hearts. It shatters our dreams of self-righteousness, and it makes us a new creation in him. God's word alone does all of this for us, and it is for everyone, everywhere. His eternal word proclaims that even though as sinners we deserved only eternal wrath, Jesus came to us in the flesh, took on himself all of our sin, and paid our penalty in full. God's word tells us that he sacrificed his eternal life 
suffering and dying on the cross to snatch you from the fires of hell. He shed his holy, innocent blood to wash you clean of all of your guilt and iniquity. He gave up absolutely everything to redeem you, to rescue you from sin, death, and the devil, and to make you his own by removing your sin completely. He died for you, and he rose again from the grave for you, giving you not just a vague hope, not a shifting possible future, but the absolute guarantee that those who look to him in faith will rise to eternal life just as he himself did. For we have been united with him in his death to sin and his resurrection to immortality. This is why we take God's word so seriously. Why it's at the core of everything that we do as a church. This is why we don't end our readings with, well, what do you think about that? But rather the authoritative proclamation, this is the word of the Lord. This is why our liturgy is not just some fluffy words that we make up new each week that mimics the latest trend, but rather it is drawn from the eternal word of God himself. This is why we sing hymns that are strong in scripture and right doctrine. Why we choose hymns rooted in God's word instead of ditties rooted in emotional claptrap. This is why as a pastor, I beg people to come to church regularly. Come to Bible study. Read the word at home. I don't benefit from it. You do. This is why we bother to invite people to church. Even if they already go somewhere that looks like a church, but tells them that God's word is flexible and uncertain. God's word is not uncertain at all. It is eternal, unchanging from generation to generation. It is the source of our faith and our salvation. It is the only thing in the world that will never fail us. Why would we want to move away from that? The word of the world changes so fast we get whiplash as something is forbidden yesterday, normal today, and mandatory tomorrow. That's not God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thanks be to God that he is, because we need his steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness every second of our lives, and he freely gives it to us. How can we be so sure that we have it? Because his word itself assures us, and his word is certain and true. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. A lot of people will speak lies, claiming that God said something that he did not. We ourselves do it in our heads, in our hearts, trying to justify our sins, pretending that God is okay with it. We do it because God's word naturally conflicts with our sinful lives and desires. But why would we want to change that precious word of God? Why would we want to substitute our words for his when he alone has the words of eternal life? When our ways and his conflict, by faith we should seek to change our lives, not his word. When others twist God's word and speak lies in his name, we should speak up and correct them for their sake and for the sake of those who listen to them. Even though it often hurts, Even though we will never fully understand it, our lives should be filled with that precious word of God. His word alone 
true throughout all ages, tells us not only that we are sinners, but that we are forgiven sinners. His word alone can work faith in our pathetic hearts, can turn sinners into saints. His word alone gives us not an empty promise, not just the hope, but the absolute undeniable assurance of the gospel. That by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.